someone has conveniently decided they're going to start drilling something right now, right behind me. So I'm just in the throngs of the media center here. Uh, not that I did think it was a, it was a bit risky doing it doing it from here. I'm a risk taker. What can I say? There we go. The water, apparently, the, apparently they're installing a water cooler, which is you know important. Let's start with the Scottish Open. I quite like that you have been saying that Xander Schauffele has won three times in two weeks. Are we counting the JP McManus as, a, as an actual win? We are counting the JP McManus, yeah. I mean, it was a star-studded field, wasn't it? And everyone's been giving Xander a bit of grief, I think, saying, oh, you know, he's, he's one of the best players that hasn't won enough on tour. And, I mean, he has got a gold medal, let's not forget that. Like, it's pretty, in my opinion, that's, you know, that's, that's as prestigious as a major. I think it's, you know, if I was a player, I'd, I'd rather have a gold medal than maybe a PGA Championship, as controversial as that sounds, or even... That is a remarkable claim. It is a remarkable claim. You, you wouldn't be saying someone that. Yesterday. If you were an American player, you wouldn't be saying that. But We'll see how the, the Olympic medal develops over the, you know, the course of history. But I think, give it, give it time, that will be... I mean, it's definitely the fifth major. Um, but yeah, so apart from that, he's been given... Are you, get, upgrade, are you upgrading Justin Rose to a multiple major champion? Mm. Did he win gold? I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, you weren't that young in 2016. Come on, mate. No, he did, didn't he? And Kucha got the bronze. Who got the silver that year? Stenson. Stenson. Anyway, but yeah, back to back to Chauffe. Really good to see him winning, because like I say, he's been getting a bit of slack. And uh, yeah, I mean, I am counting JP McManus. That's three wins in a little under three weeks for him, so... Um, really good. He got a bit shaky at one point. I thought he sort of opened it up for some of the others to lead the charge, but he held on and looked really good. And I mean, he is the most informed player heading into St. Andrews now. So, Well, that was what I was going to ask you. I mean, I, we'll, we'll go into who we're backing in a bit, but just in terms of Chauvelet ahead of this week, has he peaked too soon or are we? Are you expecting him to, to challenge this week? Well, sadly, I think he has. There's always that curse, isn't there, that... Is it the Mar- I mean, it's, it's it's different, isn't it? But is it the Masters where like the the guy who's won the week before has never won the Masters, has he? And I think that curse might carry over into the Open. Sadly, I mean, it is a big ask, isn't it? But I almost feel like three wins leading up to this actually means little, doesn't it? Should we, should we call it two and a half wins? I feel like we're being. You not see the trophy for that? That is, <laughs> is a prestigious the, tournament. It was the hand, wasn't it? <laughs> it was the hand, the severed hand. So bad, oh Jesus. man. Um, no, I would, I would. I just feel like, as someone who has obviously played golf for a long time, I just sort of feel like he's on such a run at the moment that he he must be feeling in his mind that just everything he hits is going to end up in the hole. Yeah, uh, and he will be he'll be coming in this week fancying his chances like he's not there's no way he's thinking oh god no one ever wins the week before a major and goes on to win the major oh, no, like, he'll be as confident as anyone and I think it's very really good that he got the one and a half wins on uh, <laughs> on on soil over over the pond as well because you know I think it's one thing perhaps coming into this with some victories over in America but it's just a completely different you know it's a completely different golf isn't it and the fact that he got it on the Scottish and the wind had picked up, it you know it was and it was very dry, which obviously it's going to be in St Andrews. He's he's got a win at Renaissance. It's going to be very similar at St Andrews, so I think that that will boost his confidence even more. 
Um, uh, no, I, I I like Renaissance. It's a very nice place, and but it's it's sort of a modern links, isn't it? We don't. It's not. It's not a, a traditional links the way we know it. It's going to play very differently to how St Andrews will play this week. I mean, it, he would have fancied his chances at Adair Manor anyway, because Adair Manor is about as American golf course as you can find well, on, that's on European soil. Did you hear what John Rahm said? John Rahm was speaking about the Ryder Cup, wasn't he, and said. I really hope they de-Americanise this place before, uh, what is it, before the next one. Um, so I think he, he makes a good point there. So yeah, Dan Manor, not not so much. But no, it's still good. It's still a huge confidence boost to get a win at the Scottish. I mean, that's why one plays in the Scottish, isn't it? Because it's almost like a trial run for the Open. You know, it's like the dress rehearsal for the Open. And he's gone in there and played amazing again. So, I mean, we'll see. But I'll, I was speaking to someone yesterday and I think I can't see a big name not winning this this open like yeah. you go into you go into any major and it's already that oh well I'm backing someone that's won it because they've been there and done that and have they got the nerve and I mean we saw someone like Mita Pereira at the PGA but this is like I mean this is the arguably the biggest major ever isn't it 150th at St Andrews Tiger's back you've got all the live turmoil just everything like home of golf I can't like if someone soars into contention who's a bit of an unknown I just can't see already the pressure of winning a major winning an open is so much let alone this one like I can't see it not being a big name winning this yeah. really I sort of, I sort of promised myself that um this podcast and national club golfer in general would be a live free zone this week but obviously mm. you just mentioned it there and there is obviously a bit of uh, live related news this week in that Greg Norman has been told by the RNA that he's not allowed over here. Are you, do you, well, do you agree with that decision? Like what are your feelings on that? Look, the, the... I, I, I don't really, I'm a, I don't really have a strong opinion because at the end of the day, it's what this celebration of champions event, it's, it's a bit of a gimmicky event by the RNA prior to the open. If this was, if this was, if there was a rule in place like the masters that the winner of, of the Open gets a lifetime exemption, right, to play in the Open. And Greg Norman had that because of his two victories. And suddenly the RNA said, no, we, you can't come and play. <clears throat> it's sure. a completely different story. And and and, and it would be outrageous. And, we, and the discussion is there to be had. But at the end of the day, it's just their little event, isn't it, on the Monday and the Tuesday. Yeah. Like it's and, the, not... and the dinner, of course. I think and for the... me, it's... the who actually knows about the dinner right I just exactly I, I feel like, like I look I'm certainly not one to criticize the RNA but I feel like they probably could have just invited him and there wouldn't really have been much of a hoo-ha about it like no one really knows about this thing if, if Greg Norman wanted to come over here and start wanging on about live and causing trouble then fine like don't invite him back again but I, I just think he would have come over and if anyone was going to be causing the fuss it would have been the press and I think the RNA could have said to the press team, he's a two-time Open champion. He's a great champion. I mean, whatever you think about him as a man, like he's a, a wonderful Open champion and a, and a part of this tournament's storied history. And I think that they probably would have had less fuss made about it if they'd actually just invited him. And also, Norman had, al- had already said, I'm not coming over unless I'm playing. Like, I'm not going to go over for the little yeah. celebration of champions hit and giggle around the first and, uh, what is it, 1-2, 17-18. And, you know, come to a mill. So I think they probably actually could have just invited him. He probably would have just rejected it. I don't think he's like, like I said, like you, you can think what you want about as a man. I just, I don't think he's that much of a, of a I'm just trying to think of a word, it's not a swear word, but he's not that bad a person that he's going to yeah, come over and just sort of make it I all about him and make it all about Liv. And... They were just so, not, not from him though. You said it 
just before that it's the media isn't it they were so worried that Just. the media would they were going to turn it into, we were going to turn it into a circus let's be honest even if he had come and maybe kept his head down and not everyone else would have made it about live everyone else would have made it a circus and they like i said this is the most historic major ever they don't want any of that overshadowing it and maybe to an extent they, they did they've shot themselves in the foot and done that a little bit by by putting this release out and by saying we're not invited him blah 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 and, and suddenly people are calling them petty but i just think it's just too it everything that surrounds it especially the way the way he's been at some of these live events hasn't he like the, maybe you say he might keep his head down but you see, he's loving it he's loving the attention isn't he i bet he would have come if he was invited no technical issues george is frozen that's what happens when you start me off on live you just freeze me is that is that what this has become <laughs> i think the the Microsoft Teams was so annoyed that we were talking about Live that it froze us out there. So, so let's move on to uh, the Open and this week. Tell me what the Open sort of means to you as a person. Yeah, I mean, it's not. So my first Open was actually was 2006 Royal Liverpool, um, which was sort of amazing because I was only, what, eight. Didn't really comprehend what like Tiger Mania was or all the hoo-ha around that. I mean, I had an older brother who's absolutely obsessed with him, like, like most people that age were, like most of the golf world was um but just going and seeing that and seeing all sort of even as a young kid seeing the tradition and being like wow this was I just remember being in awe of it all um absolutely amazing and yeah it's the one and for me as well obviously it's our championship but it's the one growing up it was always on at a reasonable time and I'd watch it with my dad and my brother always in the summer always around my birthday it was always just a great event and I've just you know and now coming into it from you know, working point of view and being able to cover it, I just feel so lucky, and I can't can't wait to get to to St Andrews. Really, that's it's funny you say that about it being um, at the right time for us. It's, it's something that I talk to the Americans about quite a lot. Obviously, I used to work for a huge American company, so I'd ask people all the time, and it always used to fascinate me that these people would just get out of bed at ludicrous times oh, and yeah. things like that to watch the Open because that's just what it means. The tournament means around the world. Um, and you know, there's just there's just a a buzz about the the tournament, and there's there's obviously a buzz about this place. I mean, we drove in. I'm going to talk to Hannah and Steve on the podcast in a bit, but uh, we we drove in this morning. I was driving in with Steve, and honestly, the the guy just like his face. Like I was sitting there just like silently, just like you so even. I, I mean, I've been here loads of times, and I still every time I drive into the town, it sort of hits me right in the chest a little bit, and. And Steve was just like, he had this beaming smile. It was really cute, actually. He just had this beaming smile when he was just saying how much he, he was like, I just love this place so much. He even started singing. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> how have I missed a that? A wonderful moment. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I want an encore when I show up. That's, that. that's what um, I'm going to do. I will make sure. I think it was um, 17 going under by that lad from Newcastle. What's his name? Um, what's that what's Geordie lad called? Who? Oh, Sam Fender. Sam Fender, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> I was trying, I, I, that genuinely, I, his name slipped my mind. I wasn't trying to play it cool then. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the players. Should we go and hear from our resident tipster, Barry Plummer, to hear who he's backing this week? He's got four players, and I think uh, you'll be quite interested in who he's gone for. So let's just hear from Barry. Thanks, Alex. What a week this is going to be at the home of golf. A tremendously strong field is expected and plenty of value in the outright betting markets. I'm going to start with my biggest value picks for all you each way backers out there. Bryson DeChambeau has length for days off the tee. We know that his progress on the way back from his wrist injury is still ongoing, but with calm conditions, he could really take rip around the old course at St Andrews. And at 66 to 1, we'll be praying for calm conditions. 
At a similar price, Sungjae Im also appeals. Sungjae is really dependable, racks up top 10 finishes for fun. He's already contended twice at the Masters and has solid finishes in the US Open and PGA Championship, as we know. Uh, can he win the Open? I guess time will tell, but at 66 to 1, I can't really find many more sensible selections than the top 10 machine himself. At slightly lower price, Neiman makes a lot of sense to me as well. He's an accurate ball striker who can move the ball off the tee. So, I mean, after a good performance in Scotland last week, 50 to 1 ticks a lot of boxes for me. When we're getting down to the nitty gritty, Baz's banker this week is certainly going to be a popular one with Alex, as I do think that Jordan Spieth is ready to lift the claret jug again. The 2017 champion has so much to be positive about right now, with a solid performance in Scotland last week and a recent win under his belt. A generous but, albeit boosted price at 22 to 1, this selection is certainly a heart and head combination. But whatever you guys are having this week, please remember to gamble responsibly. Back to you guys and good luck to everyone. Barry, that was really good. Um, so, perhaps little surprise, and he did mention it there, Jordan Spieth. I would, I would be very happy with that. I am very happy with that. I will certainly be backing Jordan Spieth myself. How about you? Who are you? Who, who's your money on? Well, I've made it quite clear over the past few months. I think John Rahm's gonna gonna win it. I don't know why. I've just got loves Lynx golf. He loves Lynx golf. Loves Lynx golf. Um, just seems really up for it. I mean, every player's up for it, aren't they? Everyone wants to win this one, but. Ram definitely seems up for it. Um, if he can get the putter going, that's a big one for him, isn't it? He's going to be hitting that low sting everywhere. Um, yeah, Ram is my is my pick to win. Um, but like I say, it's going to be it's going to be a big name. Um, so another name that Barry mentioned there was Bryson DeChambeau. Now a lot of people wrongly think that he can just turn up here and shoot fifty nine and tear it apart if there's no wind. Are you are you tempted by sixty six to one at Bryson DeChambeau? He's got really. a horrible open record. He has, and let's not forget, he could hardly swing a club, what, a month or two ago. Um, he's come into <laughs> quite a bad injury. His hand was completely ripped open. He hasn't played much golf, has he? I mean, at the same time, I would, I would not be surprised if he was up in contention. You know, he's that kind of player. Um, he's certainly, you know, there are there are a few, I'll mention it again, but there are a few live players who could contend, which would be in a story in itself. Um, but no, I'm not tempted by by the Shambo. Sadly, I'd love, I'd actually love to see him do well. It'd be great storyline. Um, but no, I think with the injuries and the lack of golf and the open record, I think it's going to be too too tough a, of an ask for Bryson. I just think with Jordan Spieth, and it's I'm not only backing him blindly because he's my best friend. I'm mm. backing him because um, he is obviously playing very well. He's there was just something about him at the Scottish and I was just watching him and I was just thinking his game is just in the right place. He obviously loves playing Lynx golf. He loves the open championship. He's a past champion. I just, there was just something I And this is obviously not very good for a podcast, but, but I can't really describe the feeling that I had when I was watching him at the Scottish. There was just something about the way he was playing there's something about, I mean, there was obviously that hilarious moment with Michael Barella or his caddy when they were arguing about what club to hit. And he was saying, I'm not <laughs> going to get this within 90 yards of the green or whatever it was. And then he stiffed it. He stiffed it. Um, yeah. And even in, even in the air, he didn't like it. And then obviously it landed right next to the flag and the whole place just erupted. There's just, I don't know. I, I Something about me, just when Jordan Spieth's in this kind of mood, Jordan Spieth wins. Yeah. And the rest of his game is, it's, it's so funny that it's almost the putting has become a bit of his... Achilles Hills this year, which is like that's what he's been known for, you know, since since he burst onto the scene. He's always been an excellent putter, and the rest of his game seems to have sorted itself out. 
if he can get it all linked together, you know, he's definitely a name that could be up there. I know you'd love to see him win, so. That would make me most happy. All right. Um, thanks, George. I'm looking forward to you arriving in St. Oh, Andrews on wait. Wednesday to join in the, uh, the House of Fun. I am now going to go and talk to Hannah and Steve for a little bit, obviously, with the fun technical issues we had over here. <laughs> had to uh, had to sort of do this podcast in two parts. But yeah, really looking forward to seeing you and enjoy the week. I'll see you later. Yeah, cheers in a bit. Cheers, mate. Bye bye. Right, we need to sort of record this and pretend that we're not sitting in a bedroom in a Premier Inn about an hour away from St Andrews. So maybe we'll just add some noises of the open around it. Steve, probably your, I'm going to guess, 15th open. No, nowhere near. I was quite a late starter. What have I done? My first one was a good one, though. Hoylake in 2006. That is a good Tiger's one. absolute iron structure. Were you there in a professional capacity or no, as no. a fan? No, I went as a fan. In those days, you could just rock up. <laughs> <laughs> you just go, oh, fancy going to the Open today. Now you have to get a ticket a year out, don't you? Um, it was a good Open to go. I remember I was in a really, really good position um, when Tiger eagled the par five early. Um, that was a really good open. And then I've been, the only one I've missed since I went to Lytham in 2012, and the only one I've missed since was Mirfin. That's quite good, isn't it? So you guys, I was a very, very late starter, because I think my first was 11, St. George's. Because I just grew up in Devon, this is so far away from any open venue, it's just like impossible to get to. Uh, especially when you perhaps don't know anyone that's as into golf as you are. I think that's that's the reason I'm going to give anyway. Hannah, you've got a really cool story and I want you to tell us. I want you to tell the world because we, we already know about it because you, you bring it up every year. Every year. <laughs> but just for, the, just for the 12 listeners, give us a little uh, backstory of your history with the Open Championship. Basically, I wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Open. So my parents met they open in 1990 at St Andrews. So basically we've been dragged to every single open that existed ever since. I'm sure you'll meet a boyfriend here a bit far. <laughs> she just wants the same story for you. I love that. So so do you know any details about how they met? Like was it just like eyes locked across the fairway or just maybe bumped into each other in the merch tent? Firstly, though, I'm pretty worried about Hannah's current boyfriend. Where are they open at St Andrews? Why did why? How did we not think of that? Your mum's like, can't wait again. <laughs> well, so they were on like one of those coach trips, which takes loads of people to the open, okay. and it's like an organised thing. So my mum had just gone with her parents because, like, my whole family's into golf. Um, and yeah, my dad was there with his brother. And yeah. sat behind her, ruffling her hair, and other <laughs> such things that young lovers do. <laughs> actually, the only reason they actually noticed my dad and his brother was because there was like every morning you got breakfast. My, my dad and my uncle had been down, got ordered breakfast, didn't turn up, and then they saw some people across the other side who'd literally come in like two minutes 
that I could go get their food straight away. And they were like dev nicked our food. <laughs> and they held the whole bus up <laughs> because they had to reorder. So then they got on at the end, and I think that's how I ended up actually talking to Aaron. But yeah. Slightly less romantic than a. I know. I was sort of. I had this vision in my head that they sort of both reached for the same T-shirt in the merch tent, and then (laughs) hands touched. There was electricity. No, they were stealing food on a bus. Not sure there was merch tents then. Oh, there must have been. Surely. Nineteen ninety. Not going to miss the opportunity to flog a load of tat, are they? Come on. I think my first open was the same as Steve's. That's weird, isn't it? Two thousand six. Phil Mickelson gave me his golf ball. Became obsessed with Phil and hitting flop shots. And now he's just dive bombed. <laughs> I know we said no live chat on the pod, but on this pod, but it's just dive bombed in your estimation. No, I've had it's to quite... turn to the little black crown in my room that says it's his golf ball. The golf ball's still there, you just don't know whose it is. But you know what the most depressing thing about that story is? What was that, Hannah, about? Were you about nine? I was, yeah. I was basically a year off 30. <laughs> <laughs> So we're in we're in St Andrews, a, a place we all obviously hold dear for our own reasons, really, and and some shared reasons. So, I mean, we were talking in the car on the way up, and we we love the fact that you're sort of right in the town. And I know this place for you in particular, Steve, is very special. You love to go and have a little poot around the town, don't you? I do. Um, I live in a very lovely city. Um, should I say, yeah, it's I live in New York. It's, it's a, it's a <laughs> you say that, place. no one's going to come find your house. Well, <laughs> let, let's see what I write about this week. Um, but yeah, outside outside of where I live, I think St Andrews is probably my favourite place on the planet. And again, I was very late to get into St Andrews for the first time, even though I've played golf basically all my adult life. The first time I went to St Andrews was 2015. 2015 open. And I went because... Uh, I thought it would be my last chance to go because my, my other half was um, pregnant. And uh, I thought, I said to her, oh, God, I've got St Andrews. I want to sort of scratch this itch. I've got St Andrews, and then I'll sort of settle down into a life of domesticity, not knowing that nine months later I'd start working for a golf magazine. Um, and I went there, and it's just such a magical place, isn't it? Um, I was watching uh, a Sky's documentary on the Open yesterday, actually. Um, and it's amazing and one of the things that, that they talk about is that first look you know when you drive and you see the you see the um, 18th and the clubhouse and the, and the first for the, for the for the initial time and it is, it is um, as breathtaking as experience as you might expect it to be it's absolutely fabulous and it never fades it never gets any duller when we um, when we turned up today it was exactly the same and the town is amazing. It reminds me a lot of where I live because it's very, it's quite small. It's like, yeah. like, like sort of three streets, but there's so much to go and see. It's like the best bookshop in the world in St Andrews. Just toppings. Um, never get tired of going to the cathedral. Never ever get tired of walking along the beach. It's never ever get tired of like passing the new club and yeah. um, and all the other clubs on 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 the streets. Just. I can, I can sit and stand by the 17th on the road for basically the rest of my days. It's an amazing venue. Just watch people tee off on the watch people decide what to hit what, off the first. Yeah, but, but I do that. I do that every time I come up, with, and, it, and I'll do it the same um, today um, and this week. I do it every time I come here, I just stand by the back of the road on seven on, by the 17th three. Just watch people hitting golf balls. That's what it's all about, isn't it? I think for me, um, I don't look. I'm, I I, sh- I should probably just 
clarify this by saying I was extremely hungover the first time I came to St Andrews because I'd been um, to see a friend in Stirling the night before and then we went to and I was here for the Women's British in 13 and I came round that corner for the first time and I saw the clubhouse for the first time and I saw the 18th and the first for the first time and I'm not going to lie I'm like full on welled up like my eyes were going Put yourself uh, together. <laughs> it was a really, really nice moment, and I was supposed to be meeting two colleagues on um, over on the Himalayas, and I had to just give myself ten minutes to just basically get myself together because it was a bit, it was a bit pathetic. How about your first visit to St Andrews? Were you? Of course, your sister came to school here, so. Yeah, I came you, before that. But... No, I'd say, but you've obviously been here way more yeah, than Steve I've and I been, have. I've been here first. So <laughs> I was basically conceived here, guys. <laughs> no, sorry, what I'm saying is obviously you've, you've been here a lot over the, over the I years. I play tournament golf here pretty much every year, exactly. which is always good fun. I remember the first time I played a tournament here, and you had to play 36 holes the first year to then play the final round on the old course. And literally, it pissed it down from the moment we stepped on the first tee until the moment we came off. I was drenched to the skin. It was awful. I could barely like move my hands. I was so cold. But I was like, I'm just gonna keep going because if I pull out, I can't play the old course tomorrow. <laughs> and I haven't played it. Skin's this waterproof. <laughs> I played the old course for the first time on my birthday. It's good, isn't touch, it? Isn't it? It's good. I've never failed not to par one and eighteen as well. I know they're two of the easiest holes. Come on, listen, listen. But, but still, I've, I've absolutely striked my drive down the first both times. Did it? Handy, you were there for my second part, weren't you? You, you, yeah, see, you covertly videoed me. Oh, yeah, on the 18th. Yeah. Oh, and you put... How it long was did... a fully, like, fist-pumped part. Oh, I've seen the video. <laughs> how long did you uh, How long did you spend beside... So when a friend and I came up last summer and we sat on the on behind the first tee for probably two hours just... What, and the thing that I find hilarious is that they all come up to the first tee... The caddies are going, just hit iron, just hit iron. And you see the panic in their eyes. They're, they've all got in their head, I just want to put driver behind it. They can't reach that burn. Like I mean, I've, I've the two times I've played it, I've thwonked driver down the middle and I've got nowhere near that burn. Little wedge to the first green, it's fine. Like, And you just see these guys get a five iron in their hand and they just are absolutely panicking and they end up just topping it or duffing it or whatever. Like, How long did you spend panicking about what you were going to hit or did you just decide you're the kind of person I feel that would just go nope I know what I'm hitting they weeks in advance months in advance firstly I think you're pretty brave although you've cured those ills now but you're pretty brave to go to the old course with driver well I, you could have put it on the beach I, aimed, <laughs> I very much aimed at the Swilkin Bridge and just uh, let fly I, I knew I was going to hit straight away um, I hit three woods hit three with, I've hit three with every time actually off the first First time was downwind, and I hit it with so much adrenaline, I had 64 in, which anyone who knows me will know that that is a massive yeah. hit. That's an absolutely massive hit. The second time, it was into the wind, um, and I actually, it was so windy that my second, I hit eight iron for my second, and it actually came short of the burn by like about six feet. In the practice round, I played it for my last comp. It was so windy, I hit driver hybrid in. And then in the actual tournament day, the wind dropped and I hit driver love wedge. <laughs> you have actually hit a good score around the old course, weren't you? Because you're a good player. So you, you'll probably hit a shot, that, you'll probably hit a score that was like below 75. Let's not talk about the words of that. The other year I played it and I had seven birdies in my first 12. I was six under and I finished two under. It was uh, the back nine crucified me. 
you know, we can relate to that, can't we? I went through my first six under. <laughs> happy, I'd be happy if I scored 30 points there. Do you think, as someone who, as two people who have played it relatively recently, are you looking at the conditions this week and thinking someone could absolutely tear this golf course a new one? No. I don't think it's as easy, I, th- I don't think it's going to be easy as people think. People are looking at the wind and they're going, oh, it's 14 miles an hour, it's 15 miles an hour. Yeah, but wait for the gusts. Yeah. Wait for the gusts. And it depends which direction it's in. Um, and this idea that Bryson's just going to turn up and shoot 59 sort of irritates me. There are a lot of easier golf courses on the PGA Tour where they don't shoot 59. So why should they? Shouldn't. If they get the conditions, right, if they get, if they get no wind... And they and it's baking hot and it's running brown, which it isn't because we've seen it already, haven't we? Um, then yeah, they could shoot really really low scores, but I I'm, I'm not sure they will. I think the major record is possibly up for grabs in the right conditions, but sub 60, I don't know. I'm gonna look very stupid, aren't I? <laughs> well, that day at Birkdale when Grace did that shot the 62, like it was just dead, wasn't it? There was just nothing going on in the air. It was a beautiful day. We sort of saw it coming that morning, really. We just perhaps didn't think it was going to be bright and grace. But Hannah's played the old course a lot more than I have, so she'll she'll be able to talk about positioning a lot more. But you know, with those massive greens and some of those contours, you know, if you get in the wrong spot, yeah, all right, it's not going to be the longest course for them, but you've still got to put it in position. And I've seen some of the weather forecasts for like towards the weekend, and it gets 20, 25 mile an hour gusty. Right, well, no one's shooting 59 in that, I'm sorry. I think it's the, it, it's playing the hardest now it's been playing like the whole time I've ever been. Like, they've been juicing that rough up for a long time. Like, I've been three times this year already. The rough's been, like, roped off, so you couldn't just, like, drag your trolley through it. They've been watering it. Like, in some places, it's juicy. Like, I had, like, a love wedge in it, and it's literally gone at, like, 45 degrees to the left because <laughs> it was so thick. But, I don't know. I just... I don't understand why people are obsessed with this narrative. Like, it's like a bad thing if people shoot a low score. Like, if you were watching someone do like a hundred meter sprint, it's like celebrated when someone yeah. breaks the world record. Yeah. Like, why is it not a good thing that people are getting better and we can break the score that's been there? Like, I don't get this thing of oh, it's gonna get torn apart. Like, so what? Like, if someone shoots the best, the course record at St Andrews, or shoots the lowest like major score. Surely that's like something to be celebrated and shouldn't like golf's getting better rather than like why would we want people to be getting worse? Maybe we'll ask Rory McElroy about this. The man who's shot a very low score and a very high score in consecutive <laughs> days. I mean, but that's that's the nature of this golf course, isn't it? But like Links Golf a lot of Links golf courses are like this. If you've got no wind, it's like it's defenceless, but there's there's not many occasions is there where there's no wind you go four days there is a lot of places you can be very close to the green of st andrews and just be absolutely dead yeah like last time we played i was like five yards short of the 12th green and it was like a very good chip to get it to like 20 foot because there's a lot of contours and up and downs where if you hit it in the wrong place you're coming back off the front or going over the back and there's even though the greens are big like there's a lot of shelves which you don't necessarily see and stopping the ball on the right shelf can actually be quite difficult, especially downwind and the bad line. You won't see it on TV, but I, I remember hitting um, like a really good drive on the second, and I had like about an eight iron in, nine iron in, 
And I remember just looking at the green, the, the front of the green, just thinking, if I don't hit the green here, I don't know where this ball's going to go. Because you end up by, you can end up back at the 16th, I think, can't you? Mm -hmm. I have chipped off the second green before because there are so many like lumps and hollows that I was like, if I put this like a car too put, like yeah. I'm just gonna have to fly it over them and like hope the checks and I don't take a chunk out of it. Yeah, like <laughs> I've, I've been caught in that valley at the front of the second before. It's horrible when you just can't and it just comes back down to you. And just it's like, is there a worse sight in golf than just watching that ball just trickle back down to your feet? Like it's just horrific. Watching it roll out of bounds. <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> just think, well, if there's 20, 25 mile an hour gusts on Saturday, let's see what they do on 11. That is more in than you think. Yeah. When people say 25 yeah. mile an hour wind, you don't think it's much. Like, yeah. yeah. It is right. a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I completely agree with you. I think that, um, I, I mean, if, if shooting 60, 61, 62 in a major was so easy, why has only one person done it in in history? Not like we're not just talking about like the last few years, are we? We're talking about history. So yeah, right. What are you guys up to this week before I let you go? Lots of writing. Lots of writing. Lots, lots of, of walking, walking around golf. the golf course. Uh, I've got some good stuff coming up. Do you like rules? Would you like That's to? Would say. you like to have a little teaser? Is that, is that as much as you're going to give us? Is it? Yeah, I like that. That's all right. I'm say. If you like the rules of golf, and you're a bit of a geek about that sort of thing. Steve Carroll is your man. It's accessible to all, Alex. The rules are accessible <laughs> to all. You have to be some sort of nerd. Although I am. Well, I'm hopefully we're going to be following some qualifiers around and seeing how they get on and what their experience is like. Uh, we've got a few players lined up, some amateurs, some who are on like the challenge tour. So it'd be interesting to see like how they get on, how easy it's been to get like accommodation and stuff as well, given they've qualified so late. And just like what their experience is like i imagine there's going to be a few equipment tidbits there's some new stuff coming this week but i can't say more than that yet so basically what you're saying there is follow me on twitter uh, or instagram and you'll be able to see all this sneak previews of this new gear coming up are you going to be one of those like surreptitious people who are hanging around the range like peering into people's bags <laughs> I don't know, I feel like a lot of equipment changes are going to be quite simple this week, aren't they? Like driving irons, different bounds and grinds on people's wedges. Like if I was a pro and I was coming here, I might put either a more lofted wedge in with the same bounce and grind so you don't need to open the face up, or a lob wedge with less bounce on it so you can nip it off the turf. You probably want like a three three irons instead of a hybrid, like, I don't think you can see hybrids in seven months like you do on the PJ Tour normally. People are going to be changing that a bit, but other than that, people won't change that much. What's bouncing ground? <laughs> you can find out on nationalclubgolfer.com. <laughs> that was a lovely little segue, thank you Steve. Uh, Alright guys, well that was fun, enjoy the week. Uh, we've got a little treat now, we've got Graham McDowell talking about, he's not playing in the Open, but Steve chatted to him. And he's talking about what St. Andrews means to him. Just give me a sense of, of your impressions of the old course. I mean, you had a really good tournament there in 2005. I think mm -hmm. you finished just outside the top 10. Yeah. Um, it's a course that kind of amazes and confounds people. When you saw it for the first time and played it for the first time, what did you think of it? Yeah, I think uh, it's... You know, I, I'm always the opinion that, you know, I love to play the best course in the world. You know, I'm passionate about 
architecture. It's something I want to get into in the next chapter of my career. I always think that if St. Andrews was designed tomorrow, that that architect would probably never get another job again anywhere in the world. But it's such an amazing golf course. You know, it has to be, you know, I'm, I'm like, you have to play a golf course more than once to really appreciate what it is, you know, and St. Andrews is a perfect example of that because depending which wind direction you get and where the pins are located, I mean, you, it's, it's, it's the most, like you say, confounding. It's like, I've never seen a golf course which you can play so differently in any, you know, over the case of hours, you know, it's just when wind switches and it's, it's an amazing golf. There's so many different ways you can play it, different angles, um, you know, left of bunkers, right of bunkers, short of bunkers, over bunkers. It's just incredible, you know, going back to when Tiger won in 2000, not hitting in a trap for the whole week, you know, stuff like that. I mean, that's, it's tough to keep it out of a bunker, Sanders. Um, it, it is one of my favorite courses, probably my top five favorites. Um, had some great experiences there, obviously, with the Open Championships that I've played. Dunhill Lynx that I've played. Love going back there, you know, I played the Dunhill Lynx there one year with my dad. It's just a fun walk, you know. It's like the great walks in golf, Pebble, Cypress Point, St. Andrews. To me, you know, you get that um, you get that spiritual feeling when you stand on the first tee of St. Andrews. You're just like, I'm walking in the footsteps of history here, you know. It's like you do, you feel there's something regal about it, you know. And uh, it's it's my favorite open venue for sure just because of the town and, and, and the and the vibes that uh, surround that event when it is at St. Andrews. And, yeah, it's pretty cool. Do you still get the nerves there on that first tee? I mean, I, when I've played it, I, it doesn't matter how many times I've played it, I still feel the wobble in the legs. I mean, is it the same for you guys? Thankfully, it's probably the easiest tee shot in world golf. <laughs> um, but you do feel like you're walking into church when you walk onto the first tee. It's got that. It definitely has that kind of spiritual feeling. Um, and like I say, thankfully, it's a fairly easy tee ball. Don't think I've managed to do anything too badly over the years um, off that first tee. But uh, now, first tee nerves are one of those interesting things. Um, I don't really get them much anymore, but I used to get them quite a lot when I was a bit younger. Mm. What does it take to play well there? Then, obviously, keeping it out of the bunkers is, yeah. is primary. But some of those, with, with basically most of the sites being double greens and just huge spaces, some of the contours that are around the greens. I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 something. It's, it's difficult if you're in the wrong spot, isn't it's it? It's one of the most tactical golf courses I think I've ever played because there are so many different ways to play it. And, uh, you know, you have to be ready for wind switches and you have to be ready to play that golf course different ways. You know, I think of the um, 13th hole probably is one of the most tactical par fours, you know, in the world because, you know, they've got those those two traps right in the middle, middle of the double fairway. You know, you've got, what's that, six mm-hmm. coming down. So, I mean, it forces you down the right-hand side, but very often I'll hit it left there to try and open up that green because the, the angle from the right-hand side, the green's kind of covered by those two kind of right, two big humps on the right side of the green. And when those pins get middle to right side, the angle from the left fairway is so much better. But that tee shot can be very difficult to get it over there as well. So it's, to me, like tactically, that's one of the one of the best holes in the world, you know, when I think of like architecture and and just kind of how to challenge the player um from the point of view of how many different ways you can play a hole that that one's one i look at and i think it's just so cool yeah you, you've talked in the past about um the need to strengthen it when it's calm um distance seems to become even more of a factor since 2015 when mm-hmm. you talked about that um, i know some people have, have, have spoken in real terms about the prospect of 
the major record going there this year. I mean, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you think about the issue of distance in St Andrews and, and the distance debate in general? For sure. I mean, I think, you know, every Lynx golf course is designed for the wind. And, you know, when you don't get a breeze and when you get like a firm, fast St Andrews with no breeze, I mean, you know, it's silly short. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's antiquated. It just means that it's designed for a certain weather condition. You know what I mean? Um you know, I see if Bryson DeChambeau goes there this year and is healthy and he gets a firm, fast week. I mean, he could make an absolute mockery of the place. But I still think it will be able to stand up. You know, I mean, obviously pin positions, they can get pretty spicy with the pins out there, which, you know, I like tough pins. I just don't like over-trick pins. You know, I think sometimes the RNA get a little scared of what could happen to the best golf courses in the world when they get calm conditions. And next thing, next thing you see a pin on a slope, you know, you're just like, whoa, okay, that's... That's a little over-tricked, but um, so I just hope it never gets to that point. But yeah, um, it could get uh, it could get brought to its knees. But like I say, that's just Lynx golf in general, and I don't necessarily look at that and think that there's something wrong with the with the ball or with the game. I just think it's you know it's it's becoming a more athletic, powerful game, and I think I think it's exciting for the fan to see the guys hitting it as far as they do.